You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. Well, if you came in and didn't receive a handout and you would like to receive one, just hold your hand up. Or if you need a pen, we'll get a pen to you so you can jot some uh, notes down. And uh, you're going to want to jot some things down. I want to ask you a question today. We're launching a new series called Be Transformed. Turn to somebody close by and tell them you need to be transformed. No, tell them this. Say, I would appreciate it if you would change. No, we're all in the process of changing. So, But um, I, I want us to uh, get into this study a little bit. It's, it's going to be a, a great study over the next few weeks. And uh, I don't know about you, but I have things about my life that, that I want changed. And I know you do as well. And so we're going to study and find out exactly how to do that. How do we change? How do we become the people that God wants us to be? And so we're going to get into that. But let's look at our foundation scripture. And it is found in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. And it says this, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. How? By changing the way you think. So important. Then you will learn how to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So we're, we're already getting some insight from this particular verse on how change is going to take place. But if, if, you're, if you're taking notes, write this down, please. And that is this. The Bible teaches us that the way that we change is by an inward transformation that happens as we change the way we think. I'm going to say that one more time. The Bible teaches us that the way that we change is by an inward transformation, and that happens as we change the way we think. You know, a lot of times when we realize and we see areas of our lives that need to be changed, what we begin to do, and I'm talking about as Christians, what we often do is we begin to change things and move things around on the outside without ever realizing that the way God works is from the inside out. You know, if he wants to introduce change into our lives, then the way that he's going to do that is by working in us, and that affects change on the outside. And so if there are habits and behaviors and things in our lives that need to be changed or just eliminated altogether, it's going to begin by changing the way that we think. Turn to somebody close by and say, you need to change your stinking thinking. I'm just kidding. Don't say it with too much attitude, all right? So why is this so important? Why is it important that we address this, and why does the Bible and the Holy Spirit, obviously through the Apostle Paul, why did he say the way that you're going to be transformed is by changing the way that you think? Well, let's go to the Old Testament. Let's look at a verse in the Old Testament found in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 19 and 20, a couple of verses there. And God challenges the children of Israel in Deuteronomy, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. 
And it says this, today I have given you the choice between life and death, blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice that you make. Oh, that you would choose life, God says, so that you and your descendants might live. Verse 20, you can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, obeying him and committing yourself firmly to him, this is the key to your life. All right. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land and the Lord, you will live long in the land. The Lord swore to give to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So all that to say this, the choice between life and death, blessing and cursing belongs to us. We make that choice, all right? So here's what this scripture is actually saying, and we can kind of summarize it this way. And so if you want to write this down, please, the direction and quality of our lives that we have today is a result of the choices that we made yesterday, so this scripture clearly tells us that the direction, the course of our life is based on and the, what we're experiencing today as far as the overall quality of our lives is based on the choices that we made yesterday. Now, very often, uh, you know, particularly in today's culture, uh, we like to shift the blame. You know, no, it's not my fault. It, it's, it's my mom and them's fault. It was the way I was brought up or, you know, I, I behaved this way because of this or because of that. And, and those things might be true, but ultimately the quality and the direction of our lives is determined solely on, on the choices that we make. And so where this plays a part with our thinking is this, and, and write this down, please, whatever is influencing our lives the most is what helps shape the decisions that we make on a regular basis. Whatever's influencing our lives the most is what helps shape the decisions that we make on a regular basis. Okay, so our decisions are based on our thinking. Our choices are made based on our thinking. So if, if we're going to choose God's path, if you will, God's plan for our lives, his plan to produce life and blessing and the things that he desires to cause to come to pass in our lives, then we're going to have to make some choices that align with his will. And the way that we're going to do that is to begin to shape our thinking, change our thinking. All right. So let's go and let's look at this. Let's get into some detail on this. You know, I'm all about details. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23, very familiar portion of Scripture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. The Bible says this, Paul writing, he said, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, your whole being. And he says, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to say this again. Paul said, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless till the coming of the Lord Jesus. So 
What, what this scripture is telling us, and there are other scriptures that we could look at as well, is that you are a three-part being. Now, I know I've taught on this a lot, but how many of you know it, it doesn't hurt to hear it again? Okay. All right. So you are a spirit being first. You possess a soul and you live in a body. So say this after me. Say, I am a spirit. I possess a soul and I live in a body. Okay. If there's anybody here that is not living in your body, come to me after service and we'll have prayer for you. Okay. But you need to understand you are a spirit, you possess a soul, and you live in a body. So let's break this down and let's look at each one of these parts in a little bit of detail. Okay, so here's the first one. Our spirit is the part of us that is born again and that we contact God with. Okay, God, Jesus said in John chapter 4 that God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So you are, you're not a trinity, God is a trinity, but you are a triune being, meaning you're made up of three parts. God is three persons in one. That's what makes him a trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But you are a spirit being, primarily, and that is the part of you that when you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, that is born again, okay? It is not just redone. It's not just renovated. Your spirit is made completely brand new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All right. So, and it's through your spirit that you contact God and God ministers to you. Now, sometimes it might seem like he's ministering to us out here, but the truth of the matter is it's coming up out of your spirit. The second part of you that Paul tells us is that you possess a soul. Your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. Now, again, I don't have time to get into it in depth today, but, you know, I know what we say, you know, uh, a lot of times. I saw a lot of uh, social media posts last week after Easter Sunday, and rightfully so, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with this. It's just a little misnomer. But I saw a lot of, uh, you know, pastors and ministers that said, you know, there were so many X number of souls that were born again last week on Easter Sunday. And of course, I celebrate that with everybody, but that's really not true. There were X number of spirits that got born again, people that got born again as a result of Easter celebrations and so forth. But your soul is separate from your spirit. Uh, James chapter 1, James wrote and he said this, receive with meekness the engrafted word. Now, writing to Christians, people that are already born again, he said, receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. So these people are already born again, so their soul must be different than their spirit. And so your soul is comprised of your mind, your will, and your emotions. I heard one preacher say it this way, and I really like it. Your soul is made up of your thinker, your feeler, and your chooser. Okay? I know that sounds kind of like children's church a little bit, but it just helps you remember it. Okay? So the reason that I'm going into this detail is this. Write this down, please. Your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions is the 
seat. Oh, by the way, I'm sorry, I forgot the third part, and that is your body, okay? You, you are a spirit, you possess a soul, and you live in a body, and your body is what enables you to move and function on the earth. Now, again, not, not going into a whole lot of detail on this, but, you know, if your body ceases to function, if you breathe your last... Uh, we, you know, have a celebration of life for you and your spirit and your soul go to heaven, okay? But your body remains here until the Lord Jesus returns. And that's a whole different message in and of itself. But your body is what enables you to be able to move and function in the earth. Once you lay that down, you cannot stay here in the earth, you know, and I know people say, well, you know, I was upstairs in, the, in my bedroom and Aunt Sally came in and talked to me, you know, and she's been gone for 25 years. I'm sorry, that wasn't Aunt Sally. Okay, again, we need to have prayer for you after the service, all right? But it's important that you need to know that. And I know what we mean, and I know people mean this, you know, well, I just felt their presence with me, okay? No, you just felt some strong memories that gave you an impression, Okay, but that person is not here. All right, now, write this down, please. The reason we emphasize this is because your soul is the seat of your decision-making process. Your mind, your will, and your emotions is the seat of your decision-making process. All right, and we're going to look at and, and dive into how did God create your soul, and how did, I mean, how did he intend for it to function and for it to operate? So let's look at the three parts of your soul for just a moment, okay? So your mind, let's begin with your mind. Your mind is a wonderful thing. It's a God-given tool that he has given to us. Now, your mind and your brain are two different things, now, they're connected, but they're two different things, okay? Because I can show you in the Scripture where people that have separated from the organ called the brain still have memory in their mind, all right? Somebody said, huh, don't worry about it, all right? Okay, but the mind is something that God has given us, and it has the capacity to perceive and understand information and arrive at conclusions based on the information that it's presented. All right, now, what are the two sources of that information? Well, here's the first one, and that is your body. Your body, everybody say, my body, okay? Your body provides information to your mind, your brain, so that you can function, and how does it do it? Through your five physical senses, all right? Now, write this down, please. Your body is influenced by the senses, your five physical senses. It has to provide input in your decision-making process. Thank God for our five physical senses. You know, people of faith have a tendency to demean the five physical senses, and when they're contrary to the Word, that's okay, because you need to go with what the Word says. But... I'm telling you, God gave you your five physical senses so that when you step off the curb, look both ways and make a decision as to whether you ought to cross the road based on what you see. 
Don't say, well, I'm, I, I'm, I'm a person of faith. I'm not moved by what I see. You step out in that road, you're getting ready to be moved by what you see. Okay? You know, and like we used to be told when we were kids, you know, when mama's in the kitchen cooking and got a hot stove going, don't reach up there and touch anything on that stove. Why? Because it's hot. All right? You were taught that. And some of us, I'm going to just talk about me. I'm not going to talk about you. We're hard-headed. And we kind of had to figure that out on our own. Anybody along with me on that? So your body gives you information based on what you feel. So you feel that that's hot. Your brain tells you, no, don't touch that anymore. All right? So your body is influenced by the senses it has to provide input in your decision-making process. The other source of information for your mind is your spirit, your born-again spirit, okay? Now, the Bible says in 1 John that he that confesses that Jesus is Lord and the, and, and the Lord of your life, that God dwells in you and you dwell in God. So God lives on the inside of you. If you're born again here today, then God has made his residency on the inside of your born-again, recreated spirit by the person of the Holy Spirit. So you have God living in you in the person of the Holy Spirit. So say this after me. Say, I am a resident or a house, rather, of the presence of God. God lives in me. Okay? Now, Establishing that with your spirit being filled with God, God is going to try and move in your life and influence you through your spirit. How many of you want God to lead you? How many of you want to walk out the will of God? Well, a lot of times where we miss it as Christians is trying to determine the will of God out here first instead of letting God minister to us in here first, okay? So write this down, please. God labors through your recreated spirit to influence your decision-making process. So we as believers have two primary sources of information that we make decisions based off of, and that is this, what we experience out here, what we see, feel, hear, touch, touch and taste. We make decisions upon that. And then the other source of information is what God ministers to us in here. Now, here's the sad truth about somebody that has never received Christ as their Savior is that spirit is not a safe source of information for them because God doesn't live in there. But for born-again believers, God lives on the inside of us, and therefore he is working by his Spirit to try and minister to you, to help you, and to direct you to make good decisions, okay? So God accesses your mind, your will, and your emotions through your spirit by revelation. Now, that's a word, not the book of revelation. Revelation, where God reveals things to you. Now, again, not to dwell on this in too much detail, but there are two sources that God brings revelation to you through the Word of God, the written Word of God, and by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so there are, 
direction. There are things that God reveals to us from the Word of God that we don't have to pray about. Okay? You know, the Bible's very clear. It tells us, stop stealing. I don't have to pray about whether I ought to steal or not. The Bible tells me, point blank, do not do that. The Bible tells me that Jesus taught that I need to forgive, I need to love, I need to, you know, many things. So there are many things in the Scripture we don't have to pray about. But there are also things that we don't have clear insight about from the written Word of God that we can pray about that God will minister to us by His Spirit, such as, where am I supposed to work? You know, it's not, there's not scripture in verse that tells you XYZ company is where God wants you to work. No, you need to pray. You need to seek God and let him minister that to you down in your spirit so that you'll make a good decision. So that's how your mind receives information. Now, let's talk about your will, your chooser. All right, let's talk about your will for just a moment. So based on the information that you're presented in your mind, you make decisions in your life which determine both the quality of your life and your destiny. Now, eternally, think about this with me for just a moment. God gives you the privilege as a human being. By the way, side note, God will never, ever override your will. Never. He will never uh, allow the devil to override your will. He is, it prefers that you don't let people override your will. Okay, but you are, are the one, let me say it to you this way. Your eternal destiny, whether you spend an eternity in heaven with God or in hell separated for God is based on a decision, a choice that you make. And that I make. And all of us at some point in our lives are faced with that decision. Now, that's, that is a monumental thought when you think about it that our eternal destiny all comes down to a simple decision that we make. Now, God is working trying to get you, obviously, to make a decision to follow Him and to give your heart to Christ. All right? So He is working in your life in order for you to make that decision to follow him. But it's all based on information that you are presented. And you make those decisions, and those decisions determine the direction, the quality, and the destiny of your life. All right, are we clear with that? Okay, so write this down, please. God has created you so that if you have the right information and you process it correctly, you will make good and right decisions. Is there anybody here that likes to make good and right decisions? Okay. Well, God has created you to be able to do that. Now, what happens is there are other influences that come in that affect those decisions, and oftentimes we make poor decisions and wrong decisions, but that's not God's fault. That's our fault. All right, so God has created us that if we are presented with the right information and we in turn process that information correctly, 
you will make the right and good decision. See, your reasoning ability was given to you by God. God gave that to you. So you, he designed you so that you can process information, receive that information, process it, and then come up with the right conclusion if, if everything is laid out right. Now, your mind was not created to make wrong decisions. Going back to, you know, Adam and Eve, of course, Adam was not created to mess up. You do understand that, right? Okay. He was perfect in God's image. He was created. He was living the life that God wanted him to live. He was making the right choices. He was making good choices until his wife. I mean, no, I'm just kidding. No, it's not, it's not Eve's fault. Eve, Eve was deceived, but Adam was not, the Bible says. But what I want you to see is, is he made the wrong choice on that day and obviously laid the groundwork for us all to, to need a redeemer. But uh, he was created in that way to be able to process and make the right decisions. So write this down, okay? When we miss it, oftentimes we have enough natural information, but not enough spiritual information. When we miss it, when we make wrong decisions, it's often because we, we have enough natural information, but we lack spiritual information. Okay? All right, now, write this down, please. If you have enough of both types of information, spiritual and natural, you have the capacity to come to the right decision, the right choice. Okay, let me say that one more time. If you have enough natural information and spiritual information, now let me say this to you. There are gonna be times when the spiritual information that you receive conflicts with the natural information you receive. Okay, because your natural physical senses might be telling you you need to make this decision, but the Spirit of God is dealing with you and telling you you need to make this decision, and that's where faith comes in. Because a lot of times we don't understand the whys and the wherefores. We just need to obey. Because how many of you know he's smarter than we are? He has a grasp on things a little bit greater and stronger than we do. And so he has some inside information. Now, the one thing about God is that he wants us to operate by faith. And so very often, he doesn't reveal the whole picture to us. I would love if in my life as a, as a believer and as a, as a pastor, that God would show me what's going on from A to Z, what, is, what, what are all the whys and wherefores, what is happening. I wish that I had known when I was a teenager and was called to ministry what it was going to look like for all my life. But God doesn't do it that way. He presents the option to you and just wants you to trust him and wants you to trust him to the point where you make the decision to follow him and obey, all right? So very often, he provides enough spiritual information for us, but not necessarily the whole picture, okay? And so again, that's where we have to have faith, and that's why we need to just simply 
obey. Turn to somebody close by and say, you just need to obey. Okay? Now, we're going somewhere with this, so keep tracking with me. All right? So we've talked about your mind. We've talked about your will. We've talked about your thinker, your feel, or your chooser. Let's talk about this last part of your soul called your emotions. Uh, some people might call this feelings. Okay? There used to be a song years ago, feelings. Okay? You don't hear it much anymore, but, and I don't do it justice. So why did God give us emotions? Why did God give us feelings? Well, first thing is, did you know God has emotions? God feels. The Bible says in Hebrews that Jesus is easily touched with the feelings of our infirmities. In other words, when you're going through stuff, it affects the heart of God. God doesn't want you experiencing pain and heartache and the things that this world has to offer. And it hurts him when we do. He has compassion on us and wants to move in our lives to bring us through and out of those things. But my point is this, that you are created in the image of God and God feels things just like you do, but here's the difference. God doesn't let his emotions and his feelings affect and sway his decisions. Okay? All right, so when we have information presented to us or a perception about something, very often it invokes an emotional response. Let's say you are presented with a piece of information and, you know, it might be something that makes you happy. It might make you sad. It might get you excited. It might make you mad. It might make you, there's a whole range of emotions. But when you're presented that information and that perception, it, it is, it, it is, you are designed to be affected often by that information in your feelings or in your emotions. Now, I'm going to say this to you, and you might want to write this down. I didn't include it in your notes, but, but your feelings are also affected by what you think about the most. Your feelings are affected. Your emotions are affected by what you think about the most. Okay, so if you spend a lot of time watching or, or thinking about uh, movies and stuff. I'm just using this as an example. I'm, I'm not against movies or anything. I watch them too. But I have found that if I watch a sad movie and I think about that sad movie a lot after I've watched it, guess what happens? I get sad. And I'm sitting there going, why? That's not real. It didn't really happen. You know, that person didn't really go through all that. It's a movie. It's fiction. But because we think about it enough, it, it causes that emotional response to arise on the inside of us, okay? So God's plan, here's why God gave you emotions. God's plan is that when you receive information from him, you spend time thinking about that information, processing that information, 
and it will cause an emotional response in you. You know, there have been times, not every time, but there have been times when I have presented the gospel to somebody and told them, God loves you unconditionally. Jesus died on the cross for you. It doesn't matter what you have done, where you have been, all the things that you might have done in your lifetime. Do not stop God from loving you and, and wanting to save you and minister to you. And you know what? When, when Not because of me, but because that's the gospel, the good news, the word of God, when that enters into somebody's thinking and they begin to think about it enough, very often it, it causes an emotional response. People begin to weep when they think about how much God actually loves them, how much God actually cares about them, how much he, he loved them so much that he sent Jesus to die that horrible death on the cross to be buried. And as we celebrated last week, to be raised from the dead, he did that not for his own benefit, but for ours. And if you think about that long enough, it will cause something to come up in your heart and, and your soul to affect you emotionally. That's what emotions uh, were created for so that now listen to this, emotions were designed to give you momentum to follow through with your decisions. So that person that I present the gospel to and, and it affects them emotionally, I, I'll just give you a quick testimony. I remember when I was a kid, I was, uh, you know, a typical rebellious teenager. Uh, I was having a hard time at home and uh, you know, I, I just, we were going through a lot as a family and so forth. And, and, uh, I really, you know, just was mad at everybody and so forth. And my mom who, who's sitting back there, wait to everybody. Okay. She, uh, basically she made an appointment with our pastor, uh, at the time for me to go talk to him. Well, I didn't want to go talk to him. I had better things to do than go talk to a preacher, okay? And uh, so, but she more or less forced, I mean, she didn't bodily force me, but, you know, I knew I'd be in trouble if I didn't. So I went and, uh, you know, we made this appointment and she went in and talked to him first and I sat there and then uh, in the lobby and, and so then he called me and, and had me go in there and just a sweet, sweet, precious man, man of God. I mean, just awesome. Ended up leading me to the Lord, but I'll never will forget him sitting across his desk talking to me. And he has a son that's, I think he's a little, one year younger than I am. So he's 22. And uh, so, and so I remember him looking across his desk and telling me this, hey, Brad, I want you to know something. I love you as much as I love my own son. And, and I knew he wasn't, he wasn't just playing me. He was serious and he meant it. And I, I can remember that statement being made to this very day and it melted my heart. 
when that revelation, because he was demonstrating to me the love of God. And uh, long story short, he ended up uh, leading me to Christ, and so the rest is history. But the thing that I want you to see is, is when I received that piece of information and God was using him to minister that to me, it caused a, an emotional response so that when I made a decision to follow Jesus, those emotions were there because I, for the first time I got a handle on how much God loves me and because of that, those emotions enabled me to follow through with my decision. Okay? I'll use another example. And, uh, you know, I, she's, she's in heaven right now, so she won't mind me telling this story. But my grandmother, um, as long as I can remember, she smoked. Okay? And uh, I, I don't know when she started. Mom could probably tell me, but... Anyway, probably before she was born. And so she smoked all of my life, well until uh, probably right around 80, 81 years old, something like that. And my grandfather used to beg her to stop smoking. He offered to pay her to quit smoking. And she would try, bless her heart, and she, she, she just couldn't do it. And so uh, she... You know, she, she got to the point where she had uh, uh, emphysema. And so she was, my grandfather had passed away and gone home to be with the Lord. And so she was living by herself. And so the doctors put her on an oxygen tube all the time, 24-7. So she had this thing in her home that would produce oxygen and she had enough hose. She could move all around the house with her little oxygen thing. And so she'd go all around the house and, and, uh, she, she wouldn't smoke in the house, especially while we were there. But So she'd go step out on the back porch, on the back stoop, and, and would smoke there. And she would have her oxygen thing in one hand and her cigarette in the other. Okay? And so, you know, and we would tell her, Grandma, you've got to quit smoking. You, I mean, do you know? And I don't understand that's what made you sick. And, oh, I know, I know, I know. Okay. Well, finally, my brother, in his plain just matter-of-fact way of saying it, he finally sat her down and had a conversation that went something like this. Grandma, that is pure oxygen coming out of that tube. It is highly flammable. You get too close to that with that cigarette and you're going to go boom. Okay? You're going to blow the house up and yourself with it. And I don't know what it was, but with that information getting into her, and it finally got into her thinking, she processed that information, and it evoked enough of an emotional response out of her that she quit smoking just like that. Isn't it amazing that the thought of blowing herself up is what, what it finally took to get her to quit smoking all those, after all those years? So what am I saying to you that, that when you're presented with information like that, if you process it correctly, your emotions are designed to give you the impetus, to give you the drive to follow through with whatever decision that you make. I will say it to you this way. 
If you make a decision and there are no emotions respond connected with that decision, it is highly unlikely you will not follow through. It's highly unlikely that you'll follow through with that decision. You know, a lot of times we make New Year's resolutions. Anybody guilty of that? Okay. All right. I won't ask this part. How many of you are guilty of not following through with those New Year's resolutions? Okay. You want me to tell you why? Because you don't feel anything about that resolution. You just made a decision, okay? And that's not what you're created to do, all right? So let me, let me show it to you this way. Write this down, please, and this will explain what I'm talking about. Here we go. Our decision-making process is summed up and is based on this right here. I think, I feel, therefore I choose. I think, I feel, and therefore, I choose. I'm going to say it again. I think, I feel, and therefore, I choose. Now, in this journey where we're talking about being transformed and being changed, we're going to walk through this process and, and learn from the Bible. What does the Bible say about me? Because, listen, I... I, there are things in my life that I know need to be broken. I, I know that there have to be things in your life. If you have arrived and you're perfect here today, please pray for me, okay, because I have not arrived, and I'm a work in process, all right? And so what I want us to see is, is that this transformation thing is not instantaneous. It doesn't happen overnight. It is a process, but if we will begin the process, you will be amazed at how things will begin to fall off your life that you've been wanting to get rid of for a long time. That you know, they're not necessarily sin. How many of you know there are things that can be a part of your life that are not sin, they're just not good? Okay, so let me show you this, and I want to leave you with this one thought. All right, so just track with me for just a few more minutes. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verses 20 and 21, we often like to quote this scripture and, uh, because it's a, it's a powerful scripture, but I want to show you something. He's Paul writing, and he, he's writing to the church at Ephesus, and he says this, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly, now, that would be awesome. If he had just said, God who's able to do great things, that would have been excellent. But he, he didn't leave it at that. He said that God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. The Amplified Bible says, above all that we could dare ask, hope, dream, or desire in every aspect of our lives. That's big. That's huge. So God says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, and what we have a tendency to do is skip this little middle part where it says, according to the power that works in us, and we skip to verse 21, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever, amen. All right, but... There is a reason that the Holy Spirit led Paul to put in the middle of this verse according to the power that works in us. So let's, let, let's read this all again. Now to him 
<coughs> Excuse me. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. So let's say it this way. How big can you think? How great can you think? You might be able to think huge. God can exceed that. He can do abundantly above more than that, okay? But this little phrase in the middle, according to the power that works in us. So let's look at it and examine that middle phrase because apparently there's, that's the catch. That's the condition, if you will. So that phrase, according to, in the Greek language means this, in proportion to. In proportion to. Okay? So I, I looked it up and the actual same phrase Jesus used in Matthew 9.29 where, where somebody came to him needing something, a miracle in their lives, and Jesus said this to them, according to your faith, be it unto you. In other words, in direct proportion to your faith, that is what the power of God will perform in your life as far as the miracle you need. So what Paul is telling us is this, now to him, let me go back to the verse. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think is in proportion to the power that's at work within us. So what that tells me is that God can only do to the limit that we allow his power to work in us. Are, are you tracking with me? Okay. All right. So what that means is, you know, we, if we stand in, this goes back to the series I ministered at the beginning of the year, but, but what I want us to see is this, that if there seems to be a ceiling to what God is able to do in your life, it is not God placing that ceiling there. It is you and me placing that ceiling there. In other words, God knows no limits except for the limits that we place on him. Now, what, how, how do we place limits on God? By what we think. Your thinking. It's our Thinking that is the ceiling to what the power of God can do in our lives. So I want you to think about this for just a moment. Um, there is a scripture in Ephesians that says this, that you are filled with the fullness of God. You're wall-to-wall God on the inside of you. Now, I didn't, I didn't write that. It's in the Bible. It's in Ephesians. Now, what does that mean? If, if I have the creator of the universe, the one who is unlimited, who is omnipotent, omniscient, who is, 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 is beyond our wildest imaginations as far as who he is, his character, his goodness, and all of those things... If I have, by the Holy Spirit, him living on the inside of me, then why can't he do more in my life? 
Well, apparently, it's because I'm making the wrong choices. If I'm making the wrong choices, that happens because I'm not thinking correctly. So the key to our transformation is to change our thinking. Hence what Paul said in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Now, I want to show you something, okay? So your soul, again, made up of your mind, will, and your emotions. Somebody tell me, where does God live? Spirit. Say it again. Spirit. In your spirit, okay? So I'm going to say this to you. I didn't put this in your notes, but, but listen to it. The more your soul comes into agreement with your spirit allows the supernatural power of God to work in your life. Let me say that again. The more your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions come into agreement with your spirit, your born-again, God-filled spirit is the degree that will allow the supernatural power of God to work in us and for us to bring change and victory and the things that we are desiring in our lives. Does that make sense to you? Okay. Here's the last thing I want to give you. Write this down, please. God wants his supernatural power working on the inside of us so that we are changed on the outside. See, to the degree that we allow God's power to work in us is the degree that we'll be changed outside. Again, if there are things about your life that you know need to be changed, why don't we address what is the limit on the power of God and deal with that, Romans 12, 2, the transformation of our thinking, changing our thinking, because apparently that's what's limiting the power of God that desires to, that God desires to have working in me to produce the change that I need and desire to see on the outside. Uh, you know, I, uh, I knew as a kid, you know, I wasn't a terrible kid, but, you know, I learned how to cuss at an early age. I was a professional. I think there were some of you that were professionals, Okay. But I knew that it was wrong. And, and, and I knew that I shouldn't. And listen, even after I gave my heart to Christ, I knew that was something that needed to be changed. Okay? And I would, I would pray. I'd say, God, you know I, I want to change that. You know that that's something that... And, 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 you know, I was able in my own strength and ability to kind of curb it some until I would hit my hand on something or... Somebody would pull out in front. You, you, I'm just like y'all, okay? Some of y'all right now on the way home from church, that word's going to pump up about right here, okay? Because somebody's going to pull out in front of you. No. But here's the thing. It was when I changed, why did, why do I use language like that? And I began to change my thinking about it. And I began to change just getting the word of God into my thinking and into my heart, that what that did is it took the lid off of what the power of God was able to do. And it wasn't overnight, 
But over time, the power of God worked in my life to eradicate that stuff out of my vocabulary. And I'm happy to say I haven't cussed since I was on my way to church this morning. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, seriously, God has done a work in me, and, and that is a work. So, you know, and that's something that's not a huge thing, all right? But there might be other things in our lives that are baggage or weight or whatever the case is, and I mean like weights that slow us down, that we know we need to shed. Listen, if you'll address it by releasing the power of God on the inside of you, I promise you it will work on the outside to affect the change. Are you with me? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the word that we've heard today. Lord, I thank you that your word is so simple and so true and that, Father, you have so carefully designed us and enabled us to be able to work and cooperate with your power in order to see change affected in our lives. Lord, I know I'm not the only one in this room that is in the process of being changed. And Lord, I thank you that you will cause insight, revelation to come so that, Father, our thinking can be changed and we, Lord, can release the power of God on the inside of us and it can begin to work and to affect the change that you desire for us to experience so that we can become who you want us to be. Father, you want us to be so Christ-like. Lord, the scripture tells us that, that on the day of the Lord's return, that when we see him, we realize how much like him we actually are. And Lord, I believe that that process, that work has already begun. Matter of fact, the scripture says that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the coming of the Lord. And so, Lord, I thank you that we're all projects, that we're all in at work. You're in, at work in us to cause that process to take place. And, Lord, I thank you that the truths that we see from your word will cause that process to be sped up, to cause it to be expedited, Lord, so that we can become more like you, that we can become like Jesus in the earth. And Father, I thank you for doing that. Lord, I pray for every single person here under the sound of my voice. I pray, Father, for strength. I thank you, Father, for peace. I thank you, Lord, that you are the source of all joy and comfort. Lord, in everything that you desire to bring into our lives, Lord, we look to you and we depend upon you for those things right now. Father, lest there should be anyone here that doesn't know you or perhaps their heart has grown cold towards the things of God, Lord, I thank you that you're not mad at a single person in this room, that you're so madly in love with each and every one of us and that Jesus has already paid the price for each and every one of us. And Father, all we have to do is to receive what he did and receive the free gift of your grace, your mercy, and your forgiveness. Lord, I thank you. If there's anybody here today, help me find them in Jesus' name. Now, if you're here today, and I'm not going to embarrass anybody, but if you're here today and you've never given your heart to Christ, I want to invite you to make that decision today. First of all, as I have said repeatedly, God loves you. He cares about you. He died for you, shed his blood on your behalf. 
And the Bible says that he did it all because of his great love for us. And so religion is what makes this hard. The gospel is really easy. The Bible says that if we believe in our hearts that Christ was raised from the dead, that he died for us and that he was resurrected and that we make him the Lord of our lives. The Bible says you are saved. The Bible says also that if, if we as believers drift away from the things of God, that we can come back home, that God's not willing to shut us out, that he's ready to embrace us and to receive us and to welcome us back. All we have to do is turn our hearts back towards him and to repent and to dedicate and commit our lives to him. So I would love the privilege of praying with you today. If you're here and you need to make one of those decisions to give your heart to Christ for the first time or to recommit your life to him, will you please pray with me? I'm gonna ask us all to just pray this simple prayer together. Say this after me. Say, Heavenly Father, I come to you today in the name of Jesus. I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for me. And I believe with all my heart that he was raised from the dead. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I make you my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me in your blood and make me clean and holy. Forgive me of my past and give me a brand new start. Now, Father, thank you that I'm forgiven. Thank you that I'm clean and that I have a brand new beginning. Now, fill me to the full and overflowing with the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.